Hey, this is Ben Godar. We are doing a Twitter Spaces Cardinals off day for the first time here. I see we've got some people showing up here. Uh, ben, uh, I see you in there. I sent you uh, an invite. All right. Ben, okay. can you hear me now? I can hear you now, Ben. How you doing? Well, I'm, I'm doing better after the last few minutes, uh, although I'm still a little bit shaken by uh, the last few minutes, I suppose, as well. Was it, uh, the, uh, are you talking about the trade deadline itself? Or are you talking about trying to get connected to Twitter spaces? <laughs> well, a little bit of both. Um, but, but primarily the trade deadline. I was, uh, my check, or not check engine, my gas light lit up on my dashboard while I was driving home. And so I found out about the Bader trade while I was filling up my gas tank at the gas station, and it it genuinely surprised me. Yeah, uh, I agree. Um, you know, I think that I think both ends of that one were were a little surprising. And let's be honest, it's, it's an old fashioned challenge trade. We don't see those very often. Uh, you know, a, a major leaguer for a major leaguer, and in this case, uh, certainly on the Cardinals' end, Bader was not a name. I mean, you had to figure he was available, but you hadn't heard his name out there much. And the fact that he was injured, he certainly wasn't someone I really expected to move. And, uh, you know, and I don't know, um, Jordan Montgomery, I hadn't really heard a lot about him being available either. And especially since the Yankees are, of course, a team that, you know, is, you know, way out in front and would be presumably looking to add. So both of those things surprised me about it. And uh, from the Yankees' perspective, and I should preface this uh, with a little bit of family history. Uh, my dad's dad, my paternal grandpa is from Southern Missouri and is a lifelong Cardinals fan. And he and my grandma moved to Iowa. And so my dad, you know, grew up in the Midwest and became a Mickey Mantle New York Yankees fan. So then when I was little, I became an Ozzie Smith, Willie McGee, Vince Coleman, St. Louis Cardinals fan uh, with the help of grandpa and the assist of the Yankees not being that good in the 80s. And, yeah. then, and then my little brother, uh, who kind of more came of age in the 90s, became a Derek Jeter, uh, New York Yankees dynasty fan along with my dad. And so, so just, just, just a front runner, basically. Yes. Uh, and so uh, I, I have traditionally, as a result of this, followed the Yankees a little bit more closely than other teams, just so I, you know, kind of know how their team is doing. And, you know, when we talk or whatever, we can talk about it. And talking with my dad and my brother in the buildup to the trade deadline, uh, Jordan Montgomery did not come up once. I, I yeah. think it was just assumed he just bumps, you know, they would bump people down for whatever uh, starter they got because they were targeting the higher end of the market and they got Montas, but it wasn't ever like, oh, and I think we'll, you know, we'll clear a spot. And I was even maybe a little bit more surprised by it because they, they traded quite a few pitchers uh, from within their system, you know? So I, I thought, you know, this maybe leaves the Yankees a little bit thin uh, amongst starting pitching. And so I, I was a little bit surprised, but also by that same token, uh, you know, Bader is a very good defender. And if you go back to uh, last trade deadline when they got Rizzo it, and uh, even Joey Gallo, it seems like they were trying to become better in the field while not sacrificing too terribly much at the plate and also relying on the dimensions of Yankee Stadium to maybe help boost uh, the offensive production of their additions. So um, I, I was pretty surprised to see Jordan Montgomery's uh, name uh, and Harrison Bader's name in the same trade uh, a few minutes before the trade deadline. Yeah, me too. Me too. Um, well, Ben, since we are live today and we've got some folks uh, listening, um, I think uh, we might uh, just extend an offer to folks. If you, I think if you raise your hand, um, we can put you on to, to speak. If, if, if folks have questions um, for us, 
I feel like we could just kind of field those as they as they come in. Um, and, and otherwise, if, if folks just want to listen or, or don't have questions, um, you know, you and I can kind of keep, um, you know, keep kind of running through things here. So I'll, I'll keep an eye out, Ben, for, uh, you know, if and when we have a have a question pop up. But um, yeah, I, so I guess to kind of circle back, Ben, and look at it a little more holistically, here's a question that I have for you. If I told you uh, back, let's say two weeks ago, before we knew that Juan Soto was going to opt out of, or you know not not accept the Nationals deal and be made available, if I told you at that time that the Cardinals at the trade deadline would acquire um, Jose Quintana, Chris Stratton, and Jordan Montgomery in exchange for Harrison Bader, Johan Oviedo, and Malcolm Nunez, uh, how would you feel about their trade deadline? Um, I would feel pretty good about it. Um, yeah. And, and the reason being, and you've heard this a lot uh, over the last couple months, and, and really, I guess, actually, probably going back to last year, and the St. Louis media has really focused on the innings gap and how this club needs innings, and the failure of the starters to go deeper into games leaves the bullpen more exposed uh, both in that game and over the long haul because they're being stretched thin by the innings they threw. And uh, last night uh, after the Quintana trade, uh, I just did a little bit of math and I've added to it after the Montgomery trade, you know, my, my math assignment. And so the first thing I did is I looked at uh, what is the major league average for innings pitched per start just overall. And that's just looking at, this is how many games have been started in majors. This is how many innings the starting pitchers have thrown. Uh, to I be sure. Uh, yes. I'm going to guess 5.2. That's it, it's 5.19. And, and I did it. I, I did it to the uh, hundredth uh, decimal point. So uh, yes, you're, you're very, very close. In fact, if I would have rounded to the uh, 10th uh, decimal point, uh, you would have been exactly right. Um, now, uh, now I, let me ask you a couple questions. How many innings pitched per start do you think Adam Wainwright has given us? Um, I'm going to guess 5.8. That's actually probably more than that, but I, I, I feel like you, you want me to be surprised, so I'm, I'm playing mental games with myself. Uh, it's, it's 6.17. Okay. Uh, that wasn't too far off. No. And now Miles Michaelis. So, so Wainwright is about one inning, one inning pitched more per start than the MLB average, just a, a yeah. hair underneath of it. Okay. Yep. And then, uh, now Miles Michaelis. Uh, I would guess, I would guess uh, 6.1 for him. He's actually uh 6.30. So even okay. more like he, he okay. is comfortably more than an inning above the major league average in terms of his average inning innings pitched per start. Um, now uh, guess all of the St. Louis Cardinals starters who are not Adam Wainwright and Miles Michaelis combined, what their average is. I'm going to say 4.1. <laughs> That's what it feels like. Uh, but it's 4.49, which is about a half an inning uh, below the major league average uh, and and well, well below, you know, in actuality. So it's um, it's interesting because then after I did all that, uh, I compared the overall St. Louis Cardinals average and the overall St. Louis Cardinals average uh, innings pitch per start is 5.19 which is they're actually a hair above the major league average, but just with rounding, um, it's right. actually 5.9 or 5.192. Yeah. But Miles Michaelis and Adam Wainwright have thrown, have made so many starts and thrown so many innings that they actually, you know, have pulled up that average. Right. And so I did that to see, you know, how do, uh, Quintana and Montgomery slot in and, and Quintana is at 5.15. So a hair below the MLB average and mm -hmm. Montgomery is at 5.46. Uh, 
So, you know, about one third of an inning uh, above it. And so if, if you extrapolate that out over several, you know, the remainder of the season, I mean, I think you're going to see, you know, the Cardinals filling that inning gap that we have heard so much about that when, when you're doing the averages, you might be saying to yourself, well, a half an inning, that's not so much. But, you know, if you're having to dip into your bullpen over and over again for those additional outs, it has yeah. a cumulative effect um, and it can also impact things uh, in that start. And so one of the reasons that I would feel very good about these additions uh, is they have, I think, uh, effectively filled that inning gap. Uh, what would uh, your response be? Um, well, uh, I, I mean, that's, that's interesting. Um, I uh, similarly am, uh, it's, it's interesting to hear that number um, and, uh, you know, see that it's uh, so close to the league average. That's something I've kind of suspected. You know, I feel like we hear that on the broadcast all the time. Oh, they got to get guys going deeper innings. They got to get, you know, guys going deeper into games. Um, but yeah, it is, the game has just changed. And so, um, you know, the idea that starters are going to go regularly go six, seven innings, you know, we don't, we just don't see that. Um, and yeah, to me, that that is something that really stands out about Quintana uh, and about uh, Montgomery is, you know, they're guys that have, uh, you know, consistently um, taken the ball and, uh, you know, gotten, gotten innings uh, uh, through the season. So they, they seem to fit that need really well. Um, you know, I, I think they're both uh, really on the higher end of what I expected the Cardinals to acquire. Um, I know some people wanted them to, you know, get maybe like a Castillo or a Montas who, who are, you know, better than these two guys. But I still think they're kind of higher um, overall than what I was, was expecting. So, um, yeah, no, I'm pretty, I'm pretty impressed with it overall. And, and uh, I, before we go on, bed, I'm just going to throw out, I see we've had, keep having more people join us. Uh, thanks, everybody, for you know, coming in and listening live with us. Um, if, if folks have questions and want to use the raise your hand feature, we'll, we'll jump, jump to you. But, um, but yeah, Ben, I guess to just, you know, that was kind of the end of my response. I, I feel pretty good about those two acquisitions. Yeah. I, I like them uh, in isolation as well. And, you know, you do have to consider the Juan Soto uh, sweepstakes, but in isolation, uh, each of these moves makes the team better, and it makes the team better uh, at their weak spot. And, you know, the, the Quintana thing is, is interesting because, you know, he's really on a, on a pillow contract, a make-good contract with the Pirates to try to salvage his career, and he has worked his way back uh, and has had a very good season. And the thing that I thought when they announced this deal is in a way it was similar to the Jay Happ and John Lester deals last year. It's a veteran uh, who's on a one-year contract to help fill innings. Quintana has pitched a lot better than either one of those two did uh, leading up to the 2021 trade deadline. And so you know, this is an upgrade from an innings perspective, similar to those deals last year, but it's also an upgrade in yeah. terms of the quality of the innings you're going to get. And he's, he has not pitched as well as yeah. Montgomery, who is a clear, clear upgrade. And I think slots very nicely yeah. behind Michaelis and Wainwright. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I think we can see that, you know, the return, you know, Montgomery, you know, gets back to Harrison Bader, who's a you know, legitimate starting major league center fielder, albeit uh, injured right now. Uh, you know, whereas Quintana, we're talking about, uh, you know, Malcolm Nunez, um, who, you know, ha certainly has some potential um, as a, you know, power hitting uh, corner infielder, probably first base only, but is a few levels away from the major leagues. And, and Johan Oviedo, who, um, you know, is, is probably a, a bullpen guy, um, you know, going forward. So, um, yeah, I think we kind of see that in terms of the, re the return there as well. Um, how do you feel about giving up Vader? Do you know what uh, my, after getting over the shock 
then I was happy for Bader because he's going home to his home state of New York. He'll be able to get a lot more of the New York style pizza that's good for the soul. And he'll be able to wear his Statue of Liberty colored glove uh, in Yankee Stadium, which I think is really cool. Um, but after I kind of went through those thoughts, you know, I my my thought was, um, you know, I think he got too expensive for the amount of time he spends on the field for the Cardinals. Because um, he entered into that yeah, extension. Yeah, I, I, I think so. Oh, I was just going to say, he entered into that extension and he's getting paid $10 million this year and next year combined. And I think he's making, you know, still a suppressed salary, but real money. And, you know, he, he spends time on the injured list because of the way that he plays. And I think the Cardinals were probably willing to deal him because of that. I, I think so too. And I also think, you know, and again, he's, he's injured right now. He, he should probably come back, but you and I have, have talked uh, on our recent um, episodes, uh, this plantar fasciitis, especially as it's lingered, uh, it is a concern, especially for a player like Bader, who's, whose, you know, feet and legs are really his, his kind of carry tool. And so, um, you know, if, if this is going to become chronic plantar fasciitis, um, you know, he becomes a, a marginal major league player pretty, pretty quickly. So, um, you know, I could see that as well if, if they thought that was the case. Um, you know, just seeing him as being a piece they could let go. Um, you know, once it was clear that uh, Dylan Carlson was sticking around, I think, um, you know, even though they really had been reluctant to use Carlson in center a lot, he'd just been kind of a fill-in there for the last couple of years in this really extended run of games there, he's, he's shown himself to be quite capable of playing center. So I think that made a difference too. And Ben, I don't know if you saw this, but uh, tonight uh, uh, Jordan Walker is playing left field. Did you see that? <laughs> yeah, I did. Uh, I, I almost tweeted a snarky comment because uh, I was going to make this point that uh, it seems to me pretty clear that Jordan Walker is going to be moving uh, to the corner outfield uh, in the near future. And uh, little did I know it would be tonight. Um, I thought maybe <laughs> they would wait a little bit longer, but yes. why, you know, I guess why wait? Because, uh, you yeah. know, it, it's pro you know, he is probably looking at a, you know, an arrival next year, maybe even out of spring training, theoretically. I mean, I think he'll probably start in AAA, but yeah. it's not, you know, I, I wouldn't be shocked if he made the team, uh, out of spring training. Um, and so I think that that makes a little, uh, quite a bit of sense. Um, and, you know, after I had that thought, uh, Ben, and excluding 2020, because it was only 60 games, you know, Major League Baseball is a 162 game season and it's a grind. And so, you know, oftentimes uh, because of our position on Tommy Edmond, that he's a perfectly fine utility player who should start and bat leadoff against left-handed pitching. And if he starts against a right-handed starter, he should bat ninth. People oftentimes send his uh, wins above replacement per 650 plate appearances. And, you know, that math trick, of course, is based on an approximation of a full major league season, right? 650 plate appearances. And so uh, just – I'm going to quiz you again, and I hate to put you on the spot live like this, but uh, how many times do you think Harrison Bader has taken uh, more than 600 plate appearances in a full major league season? Oh, I, I, I would, I would bet money that it's zero. Okay. How many times has he taken more than 550 plate appearances? I, I mean, you know, I'm going to wager less money, but I still think that's zero. Okay, what about 500? Uh, I'm going to say zero. I think the most he's ever taken is 498. That's my guess. Well, you're doing very well so far. Your your 498 is incorrect, and I was I was going to do one more to make a point because he has he has never taken more than 400 and. Uh, 427 plate appearances in a season. And that was in 2018. 
every every other year he's been in uh, he's had 406 401 and he would be i you know depending on when he comes back this year i mean there isn't a year square to 650 but he he i think he would struggle to get to he probably struggles to get to 400 this year and so um you know that's what really sticks out to me is it seems like maybe the team has looked at his very exciting style of play and the way it has landed on, on the injured list and thought to themselves, you know, we're, we will be lucky moving forward to get a three win season out of him. Uh, And they decided to try to move him for a pitcher who seems like a pretty good bet uh, to help bolster the rotation for the NL central race down the stretch and the wild card. And then is also under contract for next or actually under club control, not necessarily contract next season. And so I think from that perspective, uh, the trade makes a little bit more sense from the Cardinals. All right, Ben, I think we, uh, we may have lost a connection there, but we're, uh, we're back. Appreciate folks rejoining us here. Uh, uh, ben, are you there? I see you in the, in the, the list of uh, avatars. Yes, I am. And uh, I'm not sure what happened there. It looks like we lost our connection from uh, Twitter, uh, but that's okay. And uh, I'm not sure where exactly we, lo- uh, we lost it uh, for sure. Um, but we were talking about how uh, Harrison Bader hasn't really played a full season as a regular player uh in terms of the 162 traditional season length um, and how that might've motivated the Cardinals. Um, But uh, then we were going to transition to uh, Ben, how do you feel about um, Chris Stratton uh, and that addition for the Cardinals? Oh, um, you know, Ben, I'm going to be honest. Uh, I don't have uh... Uh, you know, I, I don't have strong feelings about about Chris Stratton. You know, he's aware of. Um, I know that he's thrown a lot of innings uh, this season uh, out of the bullpen. And so to me, he's fine. As you know, I believe in the uh, cattle call method of assembling a bullpen. And so he is a, he is a new cattle to um, to join. So that's really about the extent of my feelings on him. Uh, what's uh, what about you? Well, I, he, he was a workhorse last year for the Pirates. Um, I think that the Cardinals just wanted a little bit of veteran proviness in the bullpen. And I suspect that when the negotiations with the Pirates turned towards Johan Oviedo, the Cardinals uh, likely targeted Stratton um, because they needed someone to help bridge the gap between the starters and the late inning guys in Cabrera and Gallegos and Helsley. And so they, they went with Stratton and uh, folks who have read us at Viva Albertos know that uh, we believe the Cardinals have long, long uh, put more value in the fielding independent pitching metrics than an earned run average. And earned run average is impacted by the official scorekeeper. It's impacted by the defense and it can also be impacted by the relievers that follow you in a game. And so Stratton's is 5.09, which is ugly. Uh, but his fielding independent pitching numbers, uh, which is based on his strikeouts, walks, and home runs allowed, which are the three factors uh, that traditionally analysts have believed pitchers have the most individual control over, uh, that's about 3.61, which is actually lower than last year and about on par with his ERA from last season. Yeah. Uh, so I, I think that they're betting in front of the Cardinals defense, even without Harrison Bader and pitching at Bush Stadium, which is a pitcher friendly park, that he's likely to see uh, some regression re- regression in his earned runs allowed. And it should be more on par with the way he has pitched individually. Yeah, and I do see uh, Dan uh, has has raised his hand, and, and Dan, I've I've made you a speaker. So, uh, uh, Dan, you have a, you have a question for us? Yeah, can you hear me, fellas? We can hear you. Excellent. Thanks for doing this. Uh, my question pertains 
to uh, what do you see of the corresponding roster since we're at three pitchers uh, and the, the, you know, the new maximum is 13 on the roster. Uh, you know, who's going to get, is somebody going to have to move and who's that going to be? And then also, even though Bader was hurt, uh, does this mean that we're probably going to see maybe like Alec Burleson come up sooner rather than later? So uh, those were two things that were on my mind. Thanks guys. Um, well, I'll, I'll jump on the, the first one, um, or the, the second part, I guess. Um, I'm certainly interested to see Burleson come up. I think it might have more to do with, um, you know, when uh, Juan Yapez is potentially available to come back. But um, I don't know that it's going to happen anytime imminently, you know, in part because Bader hasn't been on the, you know, the, the roster of late anyway, he's been injured. And so, um, and uh, Newbar has really played well lately. And so I think, you know, Newbar was always going to be the guy who went down, you know, either when Bader came back or if they were to bring Burleson up. But with Newbar playing the way that he is right now and, you know, Donovan continuing to be uh, uh, a utility guy who, who can also fill in in the outfield, I don't necessarily expect that that's going to happen imminently. Uh, ben, what about you? Um, I agree. I don't know. Um if this opens the door for him, I kind of have thought that they're giving Corey Dickerson a chance to keep his job or lose it. And so I think probably a stronger indication of uh, Burley's arrival uh, up in St. Louis is how well Corey Dickerson is playing. And if he's, if he looks like he's just, you know, no longer worth a roster spot. I think the Cardinals will probably cut him loose and uh, look at another left-handed option. Yeah, no, that and that's a good point because um, uh, he would be, you know, be the other kind of outfield piece here. But yeah, you're right. He's he's really played pretty well of late as well. I think he's performing about kind of where they expected him. So I don't know. It's it's interesting. I. Um, I don't know what they um, – I, I think that they might think highly enough of Burleson that they, they don't want to bring him up um, until he could have uh, potentially more playing time. I don't know if that's true or not. I think he's kind of a little bit of a tweener in terms of, you know, I, I sometimes talk about how the, the Cardinals have Fabergé eggs and they have guys who are not Fabergé eggs. Um, <laughs> I don't know. Ben, what do you think? you think Burleson is a, is a Fabergé egg? I think he might be hitting his way into becoming one. I mean, yeah. you know, Baseball America it has certainly uh, picked up on his performance. And yeah. and so, you know, I, I, I would be very surprised if there's another Corey Dickerson type of signing uh, this coming offseason because uh, or even, you know, well, there would never be another Albert Pujols type season. Uh, but with respect to Yepes, um you know, how they kind of brought Pujols on and knocked him off of, of the roster in spring training, you know, that type of sign uh, of a signing of a left-handed bat uh, would surprise me. Um, so I, I think he's playing his way into that role and very well could be the, the dominant part of a platoon uh, at DH uh, facing a lot of right-handed hitting and the Cardinals certainly need a dynamic bat like that. And it would be a, a real treat for the front office if that came uh, from inside the organization instead of outside. Yeah, I, I won't be surprised um, either way. But yeah, for, for a guy who's his way onto the Baseball America, the top 100, and is mashing at AAA, it definitely makes sense to me that they don't want to bring him up into what kind of traditionally has been the Lars Newbar role uh, you know, one start and three pinch hitting appearances a week. Um, and Dan, as for the other part of your question, um, I, and I'm I'm looking at the Cardinals' active roster right now um, on, on uh, MLB.com, and they do already have uh, Quintana and Stratton on there. So, um, uh, you know, Montgomery is the only one that they haven't added on here yet. And as I'm looking at this list. I, I, you know, my guess is I, I think they might potentially send Zach Thompson down um, if they want to stretch Thompson out as a starter, which I think would be would be a good idea if they did that. But um, they may also be resigned to 
using him as a, a reliever for this season. And especially now that they've added two starters, there's fewer kind of potential openings there. Um, so, so that certainly seems like an option to me. Um, looking through here as well, I think, you know, Packy Naughton's a guy who has, has options, I believe. Um, you know, uh, Jordan Hicks has gone down. Um, uh, you know, I don't know. Those, those are some of the names that, that I'm seeing on here that I think maybe would be, you know, potential to go down. You know, the other thing with Thompson is, you know, you've got Naughton, you've got McFarland, you've got Cabrera. So you, you've got enough left-handers in there to send him down. Ben, I don't know. What, what's your thought? Um, you know, McFarland has been the target of a lot of ire from Cardinals fans a lot this season. Um, but you do sort of wonder with the emergence of some of these other alternatives, if he might be the odd man out, because we've really kind of reached the end of the feeling out and getting guys right days of the season. You know, the trade deadline is now in the rearview mirror and we're essentially in the home stretch. And so yeah. how much longer can the, the club continue to go to him? Yeah. Um, you know, and, and that, I think that's the question that that they're probably trying to answer internally, uh, especially yeah. when you have – I don't know how you look at the standings, where this team is, and they're, they are out of it. They are out of it. They need to catch people. And so I don't know how you look at that and you choose, based on performance so far this year, T.J. McFarlane over Packy Knott you know, or over even Zach Thompson. I just, that's well, a real tough call. Yeah, you don't on performance, but the, you know, the Cardinals historically have for a guy like McFarland who they've given to your deal from, you know, give them every chance that they can. But but I think you're right. I think this could certainly be the end of his chances. And, uh, you know, he would be a, a, you know, a DFA guy at that point. So, um Ben, I think we need to kind of move into the home stretch here. Although if anybody else has questions, please feel free to throw them up. The one other thing I was kind of starting to try to lead us into when we got disconnected there, uh, we haven't touched on the Juan Soto deal yet. So um, I, I'm curious to hear your thoughts on the, the deal that ended up happening for Soto, the reporting about to what extent the Cardinals were in it, et cetera. Um, right before it, got finalized I thought it was pretty interesting how like multiple it was five or six uh, reporters who are either national in in terms of who they work for or they have a larger scope in terms of who follows them on Twitter they all you know tweeted out something along the same lines that they're nearing the finish line it's not quite done other teams might make a push that type of thing and it and it seemed like you know Rizzo had sent out uh the same text message <laughs> to every single one of them right. and they all just dutifully put it out on Twitter to create try to create maybe some public pressure um and then to compare that to Mosellock's comments uh today that were reported by multiple uh, members of the St. Louis media, uh, Jeff Jones, uh, I think Derek Gould, uh, and Ben Fredrickson, that the Cardinals on Monday night before they traded for Quintana knew that they were not getting Juan Soto. And so they focused on Quintana and Stratton and finalizing that deal because they felt that they needed two pitchers and they didn't want to be shopping for two pitchers on Tuesday afternoon and early evening. And so uh, they locked that down and then monitored the market uh, to look for uh, probably maybe some benefit, you know, if they could be opportunistic, maybe a catcher. Um, and, but then also monitoring the pitching market and they ultimately landed Montgomery. And I found that very interesting. And, you know, looking at, the Padres deal for Soto and Bell. I mean, it's really hard to look at these deals and say, well, the Cardinals could have given up this because baseball America's rankings don't matter. Fangraphs rankings don't matter. Uh, you know, MLB pipelines don't, none of those rankings matter. What matters is the nationals rankings. 
and who they like and what they want for their future. And so the, the Padres came in and, and Rizzo said they surpassed the asking price that they had in his press conference. And that Preller uh, was just all in and, and went hard for Soto. And we talked about it on our last episode that uh, Rosenthal, I believe, said that rival executives say Preller views Soto as his holy grail, like the one who got away because he was unable to sign him as an amateur. And I think it showed. And the Padres did give up a lot. I thought it might be a little bit more, especially with Bell involved. Um, but uh, at the end of the day, I understand why the Cardinals would not have topped that package. Now, that being said, I think they could have topped that package and still gotten the pitchers that they got. It just would have been harder because they likely would have been dealing someone like a Dylan Carlson and a Harrison Bader. And so I, I think at the end of the day, the Cardinals view Dylan Carlson as a part of their future and Jordan Walker as a part of their future uh, more than Juan Soto. And, and they weren't willing to walk away from that. And I can understand it. Um, and yeah. even though it's disappointing and Soto's a once in a generation talent, but you know what? Bill DeWitt is very involved in this decision-making and it could just be that he wants those prospects so he can go, uh, you know, sign Juan Soto to a $600 million contract in a couple of years. <laughs> would you, would you care to wager on that? Ben? Uh, uh, no, 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 <laughs> I, I would. If they would have traded for him, I would have legitimately wondered if Bill DeWitt Jr. viewed this as like a legacy-making move. Um, yeah. But it's very clear that he views the process and the perpetual competitive uh, system that he has developed as his legacy, you know, not an individual player or a new MV3 or anything like that. Yeah, yeah. Well, and to me, that's that's a lot of what this – you know, kind of illustrates, and, and I guess just a couple points kind of along what you said, you know, it may come out at some point in the future, here's exactly the package that the Cardinals offered, and here's where they drew the line. But it's important to recognize we don't know that right now. And I know that there were some national reporters today who were tweeting things like, oh, the Cardinals are reluctant to put Dylan Carlson in the deal, and that's what's holding it back and things like that. But you've got to take those kind of things with a grain of salt. What really kind of turned my stomach was I saw folks on Twitter today who were then like, well, boy, now Dylan Carlson really has to show that he deserves this or something. Like, first of all, A, like we know that that was actually a reality of what was happening in these negotiations. And B, that uh, Dylan Carlson would have anything to do with that. <laughs> you know, he's not the one making the deal. So um, so I certainly hope that there's not too many lunatics out there that are going to, you know, look at Dylan Carlson and think this this guy cost us Juan Soto. But um you know, when you saw what the Padres and A.J. Preller were willing to do today and you saw the Cardinals, um, you know, to some extent were not willing to do, it, it, it really just illustrates two different philosophies. And, and yeah, the Cardinals are committed to this uh, compete every year. Um, you know, that's you know, and that's what they do. And we've talked about that a lot. It definitely is some frustration because sometimes it feels like they don't push um, enough in, um, you know, to really, you know, quote unquote, go for it. But on the other hand, I think we all enjoy watching an extremely competitive team every year and, and most seasons watching some postseason baseball. You know, Preller, on the other hand, is a lunatic. I mean, the man is a lunatic and, you know, he has <laughs> emptied his farm system. And then, you know, loaded up and then sold off all those guys and to refill his farm system and cycled through that multiple times now. And, you know, that's I mean, that's another point of view. That's another way to do it. You know, which one is better? I mean, we can debate. Um, you know, I would point out that the Cardinals have a much better record of being competitive every year. You know, the, the Padres, you know, last year, you know, they signed Manny Machado. You know, they were they were doing the same kind of thing last year. They didn't even make the playoffs last year. Now, granted, they're in a division with the Dodgers. That makes that a lot more challenging, you know. But, um, uh, you know, I mean, Preller's moves, I think it would be really exciting to be a Padres fan. The fact that you, you know, potentially can acquire – you know, big name stars like you're playing MLB The Show or something every season, you know, that definitely has some excitement to it. 
Um, at the same time, I think just in terms of the like ultimate performance of the team, it, it hasn't, it's not as clear that that's been, you know, a great success. Um, and, and, and I, I just kind of see that I, I kind of expect that to be the case. I mean, I just, it's the, the violence that he inflicts on that roster and that organization. I just feel like that's, that's hard to sustain. I mean, they're almost the, you know, they're almost the late nineties, early two thousands Marlins aren't they at this point? Um, and I know they're not like cutting for payroll reasons quite so much, but they're going to, this is going to be their second year over the luxury tax. You know, I don't know if it's going to be next season or it's going to be the season after, but there's absolutely going to be a San Diego fire sale. And I think it was even reported today by someone kind of, you know, secondhand that, you know, Preller doesn't even necessarily expect Soto to spend the remaining two years after this year in San Diego and thinks he could potentially flip him again to, you know, to restock. So I, I don't know, man. I mean, that's, that's another way of doing business. It's a pretty crazy way to do business. You know, who knows, maybe he'll start turning it into championships. And obviously he already gets a lot of fan excitement about it, but I think it's open for debate, you know, whether that's a, a better way to run a team or not. Yeah, it, it really is. And, you know, I, after the Soto trade became final, I thought to myself, Ben, I was like, I will never feel the way I felt when the Cardinals traded for Larry Walker again. <laughs> like, <laughs> well, ben, because ben, we, we, we were younger men then. Ben, well, sure. We, we were maybe even a little naive. And, and, and I think we, you know, we watched baseball tonight and we believed what uh, capital B baseball, capital M men said. And that was, yeah. you know, the Cardinals went all in to win the World Series with this trade. And, you know, they, they made it to the World Series and ran into the buzzsaw that was the Red Sox this that year. Um, but I think what those mid-aughts Cardinals from 2004 to 2006 taught me is that you know, to quote Clint Eastwood from Unforgiven, deserves got nothing to do with it. Yeah. You know, the, the 2004 Cardinals are the best team I've ever seen, and they deserve to win the World Series. Um, but that didn't have anything to do with anything when they were playing the Red Sox. And the 2006 Cardinals were hands down the most awful team, the most horribly frustrating, hand-wringing, teeth-gnashing team to watch, especially down the home stretch. And then they got to October and they were a different team and they did not deserve to win the world series, but deserves has nothing to do with it. Uh -huh. And so I think that Bill DeWitt learned that lesson and John Mosellock learned that lesson. I don't think AJ Preller has learned that lesson. No. And I've seen a lot of, I saw a lot of snarky comments about why would the Cardinals trade for anyone? They can't beat any of these teams in the postseason. And I just kind of chuckled to myself we have no idea who can beat who in a in a in this expanded playoff and the way set up. I, you know, I, I would rather, to be honest with you, I would rather play the Dodgers in the first round than in the NLCS because I think that the Cardinals would have a better chance of winning that series. And the same goes for the Padres uh, or uh, any of these other very good teams, whether it's the Braves or the Mets. You know, whoever doesn't get that by. And so I think right now the Cardinals have solid pitching, excellent defense, excellent base running, and, you know, very good, a very good offense when it's clicking. Now it would have been an elite offense that I would feel even better about their chances in the postseason with Jan, with Juan Soto. Sure. Um, but right now I think this team uh, can win the national league central. And if they win the national league central, they have their ticket to the dance and there's nothing that could prevent them uh, from getting hot and running the table. And that's just the way the postseason is. Now, do you want to, do you want to have as many great players as possible to maximize your chances like the Dodgers? Of course you do, but look at how well run the Dodgers are and look at how many world series they have won. They won one. And that was in the weird 2020 season. And so yeah. DeWitt has learned that you need to be in the division race and make the postseason, and then you see what happens because it's the postseason. And seven games uh, in a seven-game series, the best team in baseball uh, is not even going to win 60% of the time. 
let alone a three-game series. So uh, I, I think that's the takeaway here, that uh, the Cardinals did not view Juan Soto as uh, the type of, I guess, difference maker over the next two years that they needed. And, you know, in a weird way, way, I think that Montgomery is probably more valuable to them, given their current roster next year, than Juan Soto is. Well, that's, I mean, and that's interesting. And I, I saw somebody on Twitter um, kind of uh, refer to this and, and, you know, basically, uh, you know, I mean, you know, Juan Soto, anytime you can acquire a generational talent like that, you have to but he did not fill a specific need for this team. So I can completely understand there being a, a, you know, a ceiling that the Cardinals would not go above in terms of, you know, giving up prospects. And I've seen people say things like, well, there's, you know, you got to do whatever you can. It's like, okay, really? Should they, you know, Goldschmidt and Arenado and, you know, like, should they literally throw everybody in? I mean, obviously there, you know, there's a ceiling somewhere, uh, you know, um, yeah. and, again, and it's, uh, you know, it's one of those things where, um, you know, if you're getting too rich in terms of what you're giving up with the way the Cardinals have their roster construction uh, planned out, you know, it is going to hurt the Cardinals more than the Padres because the Cardinals are going to have more vacancies in the coming years that they need to fill, in particular in the rotation. And so... You know, if they can save money on average and above average offensive players, they're going to be able to fill in on their pitching staff. Because let's be honest, the the team that was very good at developing pitching back when Lilliquist was the pitching coach, and uh, is that is not the St. Louis Cardinals anymore. You know, they have clearly fallen behind in pitcher development, like way behind, and uh, uh, had some serious ground to make up in the coming years. And I'm interested to see if they're able to do it. Yeah, I agree. I agree. So, um, you know, you and I had texted kind of before the deadline day. And I think I had said, you know, um, I was, you know, hopeful they'd pick up Juan Soto, but I felt like uh, I'd be happy either way, <laughs> you know, because we expected it, you know, it, it would cost uh, Dylan Carlson and Nolan Gorman and Jordan Walker. And, you know, like, who knows if those were the names that could have gotten it done and they had gotten it done. I'd be very excited right now to be talking about Juan Soto. But you know what? I'm excited. Those guys still be part of the system. And I'm pretty optimistic about the team's chances, um, you know, after adding uh, Quintana and Montgomery to the rotation. So, um, Ben, I think I need to probably wind things down here. Anything else you wanted to hit on before we uh, we wrap this up? And, and by the way, if anybody who here who joined us late, we will uh, we are planning to post this as a podcast as well. So hopefully everyone can can hear the whole thing if you missed out on part one or any of this. Um, I would say that I've I've developed a little bit of an attachment uh, to the Fabergé eggs, uh, in particular Jordan Walker and Mason Wynn, yeah. and I. I would have been very, very excited for Juan Soto uh, for two plus years, um, but I think I'm I'm as excited to see what Jordan Walker and Mason Wynn can do for six plus years, potentially with the Cardinals. And so, um, you know, is it a is it a consolation prize to a degree? Yes, but yeah, uh, I really well, and like. And I would add, and put add Nolan Gorman to that list too, who's who's, who's quite frankly having a very, very good rookie season at an extremely young age. And I think still could be, uh, you know, quite an impact player for the, you know, the duration of his time in St. Louis. Yes, totally agree. And so it's a consolation prize. Uh, I am a little bit disappointed because Juan Soto is a once in a generation talent, but we're also talking about, you know, two years versus six, seven, you know, maybe 10 if, if they sign an extension for these other guys and, Coming from a minor league town, I do enjoy watching the guys come up and and make the Cardinals and help the Cardinals win, you know. And so I'm, you know, I'm excited to see what those guys can do in the years ahead. So if you can't read between the lines, what Ben is saying is that Memphis is playing here in Des Moines, uh, I think later in August or September. 
and he's excited that we, we can probably still get to see Jordan Walker maybe with a, a promotion player in Des Moines. So, yeah. Uh, <laughs> ben, before we go, I see Cardinals Gifts joined us, and I just wanted to give him a shout out because we love everything that he does. And I was going to say tonight, especially, I've really appreciated. He's been sharing uh, uh, all of the amazing uh, Harrison Bader uh, you know, gifts and, and images and everything that, that, you know, he's been collecting over the years. So, so thank you, sir, for, for your service. And I've especially enjoyed your work tonight. Yes. And I, I second that. Uh, he's really wonderful. If you do not follow Cardinals gifts on Twitter, you need to start because uh, I think he loves the team as much as anyone. And it shows in the way he shares uh, images uh, and information about the team. It's really great. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, um, I think we're going to go ahead and, and wrap things up here in, in the part two. And again, thank you um, for those of you who joined us live tonight in our first live Twitter spaces. We only had one major technical glitch, Ben. I think this went off pretty well overall. Yes. Uh, between the, the two of us, I'm quite pleased that we only had one uh, major technical glitch. <laughs> Absolutely. So, so again, if you if you missed any of it, um, uh, we are planning to uh, download this and post it all as a podcast. So you'll see it there in the podcast feed. We appreciate everyone who who, who joins us, who, who listens to the podcast, who sends us questions. And so we'll be releasing this as a special non-off day episode, and then we'll be back with you guys for off days uh, throughout the season. Yeah, thanks for stopping by, everyone, uh, and enjoy the rest of the season.